I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. This video is meant to refute some of the teaching of Stephen Anderson. That's this gentleman right here. And before I get into anything else, I think I should answer the obvious question, uh, Mike, why are you doing a video meant to refute this guy? Uh, let me give you a few reasons why I think this is actually a really important video to do and why I've decided to spend some time on it. Um, first, he has a significant following. Um, on YouTube, he's got 120,000 subscribers, but there's also a significant following off YouTube um, in his own uh, church as well as other related churches. Now, I'm not meaning to attack any of these people or come against them in any way, shape, or form. This is meant to be like a lifeline to anybody who is being influenced by Steven Anderson, who is open to the idea that maybe he's not quite biblically sound in some of the teaching that he has. So I want to reach those people with a biblical analysis so that I can impact those who are being impacted in a negative way. Also, um, He's not only followed on YouTube, but he gets propped up by the media. Um, for whatever reason, the media, for their financial motivations they have, they like putting up sensationalists. And oftentimes, Stephen Anderson is the sensationalist who gets called on by the media. In many cases, uh, in fact, you could just type in his name in the search engine on, with the phrase interview next to it. And you'll see the first search results are from like USA Today, uh, from BBC, from uh, Associated Press. He's getting a lot of press. And for that reason, he ends up being shopped out as though he's the representative of Christianity. And the things he, that you're about to hear that he says are not a representation of Christianity. They're a representation of something entirely different, something that's actually antithetical to the full biblical gospel. And um, that's the third reason. The third reason why I want to cover this particular person, Stephen Anderson, is because he teaches unbiblical things that are opposed to the gospel of Christ. And I'm going to demonstrate that and share it in this video, along with giving a biblical analysis of those things. So what you're about to hear, um, these clips, I will give you a biblical reaction, which is desperately needed because of the uh, potential influence that this person's having, um, so that Christians and non-Christians alike will have a better understanding of these issues, I hope. Now, I've been warned that in doing this video, I'm gonna be attacked by Steven Anderson uh, and by his crew, um, that that's kind of like a standard thing. I know people who've done stuff and been attacked by him and they've said the same thing. They were like, well, it's coming your way, Mike, um, which is, that's fine. I believe this is what I should do. It's like the right thing to do, so that's fine. Um, but I, this is a one-off video. I don't plan on doing this back and forth thing where we can have this gossipy, hey, oh, who, who's gonna respond next? Who's gonna name call more? I, I'm not interested in any of that. This is a biblical analysis. This is meant to stick true to genuine Christianity, true to the person of Jesus Christ. And so, here's my one-off video. I'm gonna play three clips now. Three, now I gotta say this ahead of time, especially if any YouTube person's checking me for hate speech here. These are, these are clips I fully disagree with and I want to separate from Christianity, I'll put it that way. I will say this is an unbiblical, unethical, and evil view. I renounce the words you're about to hear, I reject them as a Christian, and I'm going to refute it or do my best to give a true biblical view of these things. But first, of course, I have to show you what he says so you can understand this teaching and how it's problematic. So um, I apologize for what you're about to hear. Um, it is um, not good. If I had a button on the pulpit, I could push it and every homosexual would fall over dead. I will push it until I break my finger. That speaks for itself. The next clip is where he was asked what advice he would give to homosexuals. I don't have any advice for homosexuals except to put a bullet in your own head so that you don't molest my kids or anyone else's kids. 
And finally, the third short clip I want to give you is where he talks about the possibility of a homosexual being saved by Jesus. And I was just wondering, is it possible for somebody that was gay to actually be saved and come to Christ? No, I don't believe so because of the fact that, you know, if you look at John chapter 12. Yeah, he doesn't have anything good to say in John 12. Totally unrelated. I'm going to go through each of these clips one at a time now, and I'm going to show you what the truth of Scripture says about these issues. And if you're involved in Steve, Stephen Anderson's like church group, you're influenced by him, you think he's a respect, respectful teacher because of some other things he said that you felt like were right or good, I, I beg you to bear with me and listen carefully because you should separate yourself from this teaching. And he, and he should as well, although I can tell from the rebukes he's received by others that he's, he's not listening to me. But uh, maybe, maybe, God willing, that would be great. Um, so, what is wrong with this stuff? Uh, I'm going to give you a biblical analysis of his comments, offer a balanced and biblically faithful stance on the topic, uh, uncompromised stance on the topic, and I'm going to deal also with how culture often misunderstands the Christian position on this topic. And stick with me, because I have a message at the end for those who are following Stephen Anderson and a suggestion for how uh, the rest of us who aren't following him uh, can, can make positive changes, at least a couple positive changes um, in regards to this stuff, what you can do about it, in other words. So let's play that first clip again, and we're going to go through the scripture, because this is, um, this is my YouTube channel where I try to think biblically about everything. Here's, this, here's the clip, then we'll go through the scripture. If I had a button on the pulpit, I could push it, and every homosexual would fall over dead. I will push it until I break my finger. Until he breaks his finger, he will push it. He really wants every, every homosexual person to die. That's the desire of Stephen Anderson. Um, well, I would like to take you to Luke chapter 9, verse um, 50, 54 through 56, and we'll see what Jesus said when his disciples suggested wiping out wicked people, just wiping them out. What was Jesus' response? Well, when the disciples James and John saw this, that they were rejecting Jesus, that they were being evil, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's the idea that Jesus came not to destroy, but to save. And so he rebukes them. And I think that this rebuke would absolutely stand from the mouth of the Lord Jesus to Stephen Anderson. Are you you don't even know what spirit you're of. Like, this is not the spirit of Christ. This is not the spirit of God speaking through you here. This is some kind of self-righteous, we'll see, um, unself-examined uh, hatred and uh, stuff. It's against Christ is the point. There's a lot more scripture I want to share with you, though. Um, and I think a lot needs to be explained because questions come up as I explain these things. And I, I anticipate them and hopefully I can answer your questions. Matthew 9, verse 11 through 13, it says, When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? Now, this is where Jesus is, he's, he's we, we all know the, the passage, right? Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. He's not like partying with them and, and, and partaking of their sins, but he's reaching out to them and he's connecting himself to them and he's trying to share with them. And uh, yeah, they're really bothered by this. These are considered like the worst in society. Tax collectors were considered like, um, traitors to their own people. It's, there's a lot of historical stuff behind that, but the short version is, yeah, they were considered traitors to their own people. Um, you know, this is like a big deal. And Jesus' response, when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. And then he gives them advice, but go and learn what this means. And he quotes the scripture, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. 
for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus, his heart is calling sinners, not pressing buttons to destroy them. That's the heart, the desire of Christ here. Now we're going to balance all this out with the rest of the scripture on the topic in a moment, but we've got to get the whole picture and not the skewed myopic version that we're getting from Stephen Anderson. Um, in my opinion, Ezekiel chapter 18, 23, what is God's heart? This, this, these are the same Old Testament passages that he'll quote that do say that homosexual actions are sinful. Also says this in Ezekiel eighteen twenty three, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that, they sh- that he should turn from his ways and live. So God's pleasure, his preference, his desire, his heart is that even people we would categorize as wicked, which we'll find is everyone in a moment, God's desire for them is that they turn from their ways and live. That's God's heart for them, not this button thing. One more scripture to support this is 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. That's the idea that God's delaying judgment and delaying the second coming, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's the idea. The the goal, the desire of God, the heart of God, I want people to be saved. I want them to know me. I want them to be washed. I want them to come to repentance that they may not perish. That's God's desire. So when Stephen Anderson, you know, his excuse for having this button on his pulpit thing is he he takes Leviticus 23. He takes different passages that talk about um, the, the death penalty for homosexuality. And he says, okay, well, therefore the law says that. So we should just implement that. And this is a um, a shallow and incorrect view of how we're supposed to understand and apply the Old Testament law to Christians today. And I have a lot of teaching on my channel on this. You could just Google my name and like the word law. You'll see there's actually several videos I've taught about this issue a lot. Um, but what I want to say here is um, Stephen Anderson's view is to use the law wrongly. And that's what scripture says in 1 Timothy 1.8. He says, we know that the law is good. Yeah. If one uses it lawfully. <laughs> There's like a pun going on there, but he's saying if you don't use it rightly, then you're not, it's not good. What he's doing with the law is wrong. It's wrong. And so what's the correct view of the law? Well, there's, there's another reference in Galatians 4.21, which says, tell me you who want to be under the law. That's what he's wanting to put that put. Actually, he doesn't even want to be under the law, right? He just wants one category of people to be under the law of the Old Testament so he can have a, a button to commit uh, mass destruction. Um, And it says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? The idea is, hey, when you start saying, oh, we should be adopting the law in the sense that Stephen Anderson is suggesting, when you say this, you're not understanding what it means to be under the law. So what is the purpose of the law? Well, there's one passage in particular I'll go to that I think summarizes it really well. The right meaning and message of the law of the Old Testament. And I'll say, Stephen Anderson's group's not going to like what I say here but neither is exactly the pro-gay, you know, uh, uh, like agenda. Going to like what I say here either. I'm kind of going to make everybody mad, but at least you can understand me. That's the thing. At least get clarity, biblical clarity on these issues. Romans 3, 19 through 23. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. The idea of the law is to, it, it does show that you're sinners, it shows that, that homosexuality is a sin. It shows that adultery is a sin. It shows that coveting is a sin. It shows that blaspheming God's name is a sin. It shows that dishonoring your parents is a sin. It's just drawing out 
the the sinfulness of mankind, putting up a mirror to us to show us that we're accountable before God. That's the idea, is there's this sort of blanket condemnation of the law, not this myopic, I'm going to use the Old Testament to condemn one group of people I can't stand, but rather it condemns all. That's what verse 20 goes on to explain, because by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. When I hear that, you know, I do not covet, I'm like, wait a minute, I've done that. You know, th this shows me my wickedness. Do not steal, do not lie. And I go, I've done these things. It reveals my sin nature. That's the, na that's the, the, uh, the goal of the law, is to show me that I have sin problems. But it's a blanket issue, not, not one person. As we read on, then the purpose of the law, first it shows you sin, and then verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. The idea here is that the law, I can just summarize what I just read to you so we can have a biblical view, right? The law shows me my sin so that I'll know all the world is condemned, which includes me, includes everyone, not just one select group, but all the billions of people, all morally accountable individuals, we've all sinned. And then I stand in need of Jesus that I might run to him for free forgiveness and grace. That's the purpose. That's the goal. So the law gives the death penalty for lots of things. In the scripture, we read about the death penalty for adultery, right? Homosexuality, yeah, but also adultery. And then when we take the words of Jesus, he doesn't soften this at all. He actually seems to strengthen it. And here's where misunderstandings come in. But it's really good if we can at least know what Christianity teaches on the topic, right? The death penalty for adultery is under the Old Testament law. Then Jesus shows up and he says, hey, in Matthew 5, look, if you've even looked with lust, you've looked like with your goal of looking to be lust, the lustful look, you've committed adultery in your heart. Wait a minute, I've done it in my heart? So my heart, the, inner, the inside part of me is, is as wicked as a, an adulterer? I am under that death sentence of the law? He goes on and he says, yeah, you may not have committed murder, but if you hate your brother without cause, you've committed murder in your heart. So Jesus, he's just making the problem worse. I should say, really, he's making us see the problem as bad as it really is. We're all sinners. We all fall short. In fact, in Luke 13, Jesus, and I just taught on this recently on uh, uh, the topic of repentance uh, in my Mark series, uh, which is available on YouTube here. Um, but in Luke 13, Jesus, he refutes the idea that some of us are sinners that deserve judgment, but others are better. That gets utterly refuted. He, he doesn't say no one deserves it, though. That's what the, the, the secular view would be. Oh, yeah, but we're good people. Nobody really deserves judgment. Instead, Jesus goes the exact opposite and says everyone deserves judgment. And this is the truth. When you examine your heart and you know, okay, I've done some good things, but I've also done bad things. Like, bad things come out of bad people. Like, that's the nature of things. And when you realize how holy God is, how holy God is, you realize this. That if Stephen Anderson had a button like that on his, um, on his pulpit, and he had a button where he could push it, and all those who were under the death sentence of the law would die. Everyone would die. Everyone. That's the distorted, weird view that turns into something that looks a lot like hate speech, that looks a lot like um, picking on uh, p groups of people or, or, or highlighting, you know, one particular sin thing that you hate. It, it, it just looks hypocritical because ultimately it is. 
Um, we all die. That's the point. We all die. We all die. It doesn't soften it. It actually makes the issue, in all honesty, kind of worse. So, the, so missing the message of the law, Steve Anderson, you know, comes off with this stuff. Galatians 3.24 tells us the message of the law or the purpose of the law, as, as well as Romans did. It says the law has become our tutor. Tutor, T-U-T-O-R, right? The, the tutor is like the teacher, the guide, the one who will take you from, from youth into adulthood by teaching you these important truths of life. You know, the, the laws become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith, right? But now faith's come. We're no longer under a tutor. So the law stands there to say, hey, we're all condemned. And Jesus comes and says, I will be the solution for your problem. The law is not instructions for how we should run all of our governments around the world. That is a, it's a, I understand why people would think that looking at the law, I exalt the law of God, right? But I, I recognize that's not its purpose. That's not what it, the Bible doesn't say that that was the purpose of the Old Testament law. And Jesus's kingdom is not of this world. We're not setting up a theocracy. We're not trying to engage in those things. And we see God's heart in revealing sin, but now providing a way out. The focus here is on Jesus and salvation, not just on the condemnation. Uh, that the law brings. We bring both of those truths, not just one of them. So he kind of missed the message of the law. You press that button, we all die. And we all die, meaning here's the thing that I, I think sometimes uh, people don't understand what Christians are saying when they tell them, hey, that's a sin. They're also saying, I've got sin, you've got sin, we all have sin, right? And that means we're all together in this. We stand shoulder to shoulder, looking at each other, seeing that we're all sinners. God's law shining a light on that sin. And we look up to God and go, God, you are holy and I'm, I have problems. I have committed sin. And there's a holy, righteous judge that will deal with sin. He will do what many people want him to do, deal with the evil in the world. One day he will end it all. The problem is I'm part of the problem. I'm not part of the solution. I know I need grace. So the solution in scripture, like the law leads us to Christ. Jesus takes our punishment. If I go to Isaiah 53, 6, you can read it for yourself. Written hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. It says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This blows my mind. The sin of all mankind went upon the Savior, Jesus Christ. He died for us. He died. That, that cross death, that was for us. It was in my place, in your place. The death penalty of the law was upon us, and he dies for us under that death penalty. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. He made him, Jesus, God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, again, take us back to that button analogy. And I'm spending more time on this than I will on the other two clips. I wanted to unpack this because it had more theology dealing, you know, in-depth theology about the law. Um, but let's take that button on Stephen Anderson's, you know, pulpit, his imaginary death button. You push the button, we would all die, right? But because of Jesus, he comes in our place. You push the button, just Jesus dies. That's the gospel. He dies for us. Now we receive him, we can be saved. And the heart of God is for us to receive him and to be saved. So we have these two truths that I think the world perhaps doesn't like. And maybe, maybe you know, the world wants one of them and not the other. And then, the, and then Stephen Anderson's group seems to want the other one and not the other. You know, like they seem to each pick different ones. But here's the two truths. Yes, all have terrible sin 
and that includes homosexual behaviors, that includes really not just homosexual behavior, any sexual behaviors outside of the union of, of godly, holy marriage. That's considered sin. Any lying, any, any wicked lust in my heart, right? Any hatred without cause, any arrogance and pride, any theft. Yeah, it's all there. It's all sin. So we've all got terrible sin. Yet, second truth, yet God loves you and wants you to turn to him that Jesus might deliver you from those things. Not just from the, the behaviors, but from the consequences of sin that you might learn to grow in him. You'll still deal with issues. You'll still have temptations. You'll all that, but you'll be walking with Christ in his forgiveness and grace. Now I want to play the other two clips because this is where it gets even crazier if it couldn't already. It gets even more extreme. And so remember his advice to uh, homosexuals. I don't have any advice for homosexuals except to put a bullet in your own head so that you don't molest my kids or anyone else's kids. Oh, man. As a, to hear this as a Christian and think that people think it represents somehow biblical Christianity is um, really discouraging. Uh, it really is. And, and it, it stirs me to want to make this video. So, um, John 10.10, 10, let's let scripture speak. John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus speaking why he came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus' heart. To what? To all of us, all us sinners. All us who are under that death sentence. All us who are you know, having our lives ruined by, um, by a rebellion against God. And he says, that's what I want. In Matthew 11.28, Jesus himself, he says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You think maybe that would be Jesus' advice to people? Or perhaps John 3.16, you know the scripture, but I'm going to read verse 17 too, because nobody ever does. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's some good advice. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And as you read on, you find... Because people are condemned already. People are condemned already. And then finally, I want to play this last clip from Steven Anderson and answer it before I give you guys some more really important stuff um, and a message to people who, who are following uh, Steven Anderson, what I think you need to do now, at least my counsel to you. Um, okay, so here's the last clip. Um, he's going to be asked, can a homosexual be saved? And his answer is one of the things that made me do this video. And I was just wondering... Is it possible for somebody that was gay to actually be saved and come to Christ? No, I don't believe so because of the fact that, you know, if you look at John chapter 12. Now some of you are like, what was he going to say about John 12? Like, nothing. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I've already looked at it. There's nothing there and it would just add another 10 minutes to the video to go through his nonsense. Um, but um, read John 12 for yourself and ask yourself if you can use that to justify anything. Um, at any rate, though, he says, no, no, you, you, they can't even be saved. Like, we have clear scripture that absolutely and utterly refutes this. Uh, very specifically, it's nice when scripture talks exactly to the issue at hand. So 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, is telling us about how we're all condemned, right? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That would be all of us outside of Christ. 
Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now you would think, that's end of story, right? That's where Stephen Anderson would stop reading the quote. Oh yeah, they're just, you know, they're, they're lost, they can't be saved. But look at verse 11, the next verse. Such were some of you. Some of the people in Corinth who were now following Jesus were thieves and covetousness, adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals, swindlers. They were doing all these things. They were fornicators. They were all of the above, right? And such were some of them, but you were washed. It goes on and says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. There is the forgiveness, the grace, and the fact that, yes, um, can, can homosexuals, like, I'm sorry, what is wrong with you that you think there's this one category of sinners that can't be saved? Yet scripture clearly indicates the opposite. This is why we're on red alert in the background here. This is a gospel issue. It is, it is, while on one hand you play some clips from Stephen Anderson, it will sound like he's preaching the gospel. Right? And it will sound good, and you'd agree with most of it as a Christian, if not all of it, depending on how, how well you pick up on a couple of little issues he's got. Um, but on the other hand, you play more clips and you go, wait a minute, no, your gospel's utterly compromised, man. You, are, you're, you have hatred. This is the same pastor who prayed that Barack Obama would die and go to hell. That was his prayer. That was his prayer. When, when God told us to pray for our leaders, do you, yeah, that was not the prayer he was referring to in, uh, in Timothy. That's not the prayer in 1 Timothy he's referring to. Um, no, no, that is absolutely not the case. So we can say there are core issues about understanding the law, about applying it to people, about what seems to be hatred and vitriol, um, about the gospel message itself, what it means, um, and, and how people can be saved. All of this stuff is going on. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's wacky. It's really messed up. It's grieving. And I hope that you see it clearly now and can separate that from biblical Christianity. Now, I want to clear up some other worldview issues, right? Because I, I heard recently the, the testimony of a man who's uh, following Jesus now in his life, and he'd formerly lived in, in homosexual lifestyle. That was the lifestyle he'd lived in. And what he said really caught my attention. He said that when he heard Christians say, um, you know, homosexuality is a sin, but I'm not rejecting you as a person, what he, what he heard from them, even though he knows they said that, what he heard was, your core identity is wrong and I reject you. And he said no matter how often they said it, it was like he just would filter it in, in his head and what he would hear was something different than they would say and he just thought like they're disingenuous or, or they don't mean what they really you know, think they mean um, or that's not even possible, what they're saying is not possible. And I think that maybe I can just try to clear up for the sake of clarity a couple worldview issues here with Christianity versus, say, popular secular views of things. Okay, in the, in, let's take a question, for example, uh, and we'll compare it to the Christian worldview versus I'll call it the secular worldview because it's just the, what's kind of popular right now. Um, the question is this, are people generally good and deserving of heaven? Okay, in the secular view, people are going to say, yeah, generally good and deserving of heaven. Now, the Bible, as you'll know from this video, clearly the opposite's true. Nope. People aren't behaving generally good and they don't deserve heaven. Now, why do I bring that up? Because when I say to somebody, what you're doing is sin, if they think people are generally good, which one was that? Was it this one? This one. People are generally good. 
then they think I'm singling them out as being one of the bad ones. And then maybe I'm even self-righteous thinking I'm a great person. But if they understand the biblical view of things, that I'm just telling them you're a sinner like everybody. That not, and that is a big deal. That's not a, a light accusation. That's a huge deal. But I'm with you, buddy. Like, we're stuck in this together. We need Jesus. That's the point. Drive you to Christ. That's the idea for grace, for forgiveness, uh, for salvation. So that's one of the issues, right? Where, where we have pe thinking people are generally good makes, makes preaching the gospel sound like I'm singling people out and calling them names. Um, there's another uh, issue, and that's identity versus behavior. Um, if there's a biblical understanding in the, in the biblical worldview, I'll, back on this side again, um, in the biblical worldview, we would say that, that homosexuality is based upon behavior, not someone's core identity, right? They can try to make that part of their identity. And that is, and, and I'm not saying it's completely unconnected, but it's not their core identity, you know, inseparable from them. It's about a behavioral issue. And usually we're talking about a behavioral issue, actions, right? That's what we're discussing when we talk about sin generally speaking, when it, in, in this particular topic, right? But the secular understanding, the pop understanding is that, no, this is my identity. This is who I am. This is, I've discovered who I was supposed to be all along. And some people hold this, some don't, but it is a fairly popular view. So this is why when someone hears, hey, um, you know, you're, you're, you're just engaging in actions, the biblical view, actions that are morally wrong, that God says, this is not part of the design I have for you. I have something better for you, something much more wonderful for you than this. I understand the temptation. I understand why it, it has elements of wonder in it for you, but there's it's tainted by something. And I want you to come out of that. And what they're hearing is, I reject your core identity. Um, I reject everything about you. I reject your, your very, the center of your being. I reject that. And it's, of course, it's insulting. Um, but it's not what we're trying to say. This is a miscommunication between two different worldviews. We're saying you, like me, have sin. Here's an example, right? And God, God's saying, I've dealt with your sin, all of it, so that you can come to me free from it, forgiven. So God is able to separate people from the guilt and shame of their sin, right? That doesn't mean their temptation goes away, but in Christ, we're able to be separated from those things. Um, so um, I hope that that helps at least clear, just clear some of the air why it's, you know, it sounds like I'll, I'll say something and someone misunderstands. They, they're angry, they're mad, and there's just, it's such a miscommunication that's going on there. Uh, I'm willing to stand on, on the scripture on this and stand unashamed on the biblical truth of it, that we do need to repent of our sin, including homosexual actions. But when people hear me and they think I'm singling them out as being the worst sinners in the world, or the, and, and I'm righteous and they're wicked, or they think that I'm attacking their core identity because of a confusion about identity, um, that is when it sounds like hate. And it's really uh, nothing like that. And so we want to stand on biblical truth. We want to try to avoid these confusions. I don't know always how to get how to get it across. I'm sure there's people watching this video right now who just ignored everything I said. <laughs> and they're like, nope, what you really mean is this, Mike. And um, that seems to be the state we're in nowadays, unfortunately. But I hope it helps some people here. Um, yeah, we're not, we're not meaning to single people out. The biblical view is not targeting homosexuality. It targets all behavior that goes against God, all behavior that goes against God. And one more scripture I want to share with you on this. I think it's, it really illustrates this point in a way that might connect with somebody. And then I have a message for those who are following Stephen Anderson and what we can maybe do about this kind of stuff. Uh, Jeremiah 2.13, God says, for my people have committed two evils, two evils, two different things they're doing wrong. The first one is they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. 
That's the first evil. God describes himself as the fountain of living waters. It's like this healthy, life-giving water. And that's how God describes himself because all sin is turning away from God. It's not just doing wrong things. It's turning away from God and his goodness. And that's my sin. I wanted something from it, but I turned away from the living waters, the goodness of God and what he had for us. That's all sin right there. And the second evil they did was they hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, a cistern we wouldn't know in most of our modern culture, right? But a cistern is like when you dig into the rock a well. You dig a well into the rock. Now, you have to fill that cistern yourself because it's not an actual well. It's more just like a deep um, container in the rock for water. You fill it yourself and it holds the water. The problem is sometimes there's cracks in the stone. And so as they dig and dig and dig and they get that, cist that cistern dug, can you imagine how hard that would be in rock? And they dig and they get it dug and there's cracks in the stone or there is perhaps just some sort of problem with the, with the soil or with the ground down there. And so as they pour water in, the water is just soaked up into the earth and it's depleted. And so instead of God's fountain of living water, I'm trying the alternative, sin. I'm trying the alternative to fill my life. But the more I put into it, the more it promises me, the more empty it just becomes. I end up pouring into it, but it doesn't really pour into me. And that's the end result, I think, of all sin. Um, if Of all sin. So if nothing else, let there be some understanding here on the nature of of the blanket issues of sin and the law and Christian worldview issues, and certainly how Stephen Anderson compromises, I think, the very gospel message, which is a big deal to Christians, a really big deal. Well, regarding Stephen Anderson, there's a bunch of other stuff I could share. I'm not going to put it in this video. I wanted it to be a shorter video, shorter than my normal videos are. Um, he's. I'll just mention briefly, he's part of the King James only camp, um, which now there's others in his, in this camp that are not nearly, they're nothing like him. But I think it's worth mentioning this because if you're part of his group, I wanted you to be aware of this. But um, the, the doctrinal statement on their church, their statement of faith, the first thing on it is we believe the King James Bible is the word of God without error, and they will preach against anybody who uses a different translation. Now, I'm fine if you think the King James is the best translation and you just want to stick with it, fine. But once you move into King James only-ism, that can be very problematic. And I'm going to put in the video description a playlist that may be able to help you out. I have a simple one-off one, one video on Bible translations where I did a lot of research and it confirmed uh, a lot of new things to me as I was studying these things over the years. Um, and it was good news. And so I've, I've dealt with it in there. Very straightforward, very honest. And I also have a link to a three-video series where I've dealt with um, uh, not just Bible translations, but also textual issues and supposed errors in the manuscripts and all that kind of stuff where I just unpack it all in great detail, but hopefully very accessible to a layperson. Um, another thing uh, Stephen Anderson says is that if you preach repent, it's a false gospel. Uh, that's kind of a big deal. I could do a whole video on that, but I'm not going to do that. But he says if you preach for people to repent, you're preaching a false gospel. Um, I did do a video on repentance. I'll put that in the video description as well very recently where I just survey through the scripture what it teaches about the topic and how it's not a work. Um, and of course there's the issues of, uh, you know, Stephen Anderson seems odd. Yeah. Angry. Yeah. Divisive. Yes, definitely. And abusive to his congregation. And those things seem to be very true. Um, and I don't think those things are good or normal. And as much as he'll boast about all of them, I think that they're wrong. Um, yes. So prominent Christians, did you know this? Prominent Christian voices have denounced this guy's nonsense for years. I'm not the only one, only you probably didn't know about it. Here's a couple examples um, from nine years ago. Uh, James White uh, did a video on Stephen Anderson dealing with a lot of his stuff. Um, 
Dr. Michael Brown, uh, who has a, both of these guys have prominent ministries online, and they've both refuted him, as well as, let's see, Apologia Studios. They called him in no uncertain terms. They, they said, a cult leader and a blight upon the Christian church. Um, and a lot of others would agree. When people heard I was doing this video, they were like, Mike, that guy's such and such and such and such. And they already had well-developed opinions rejecting and re refuting his content. You could just Google Stephen Anderson refuted, and you could see a whole list of Christians standing up, utterly rejecting, saying this does not stand for Christianity. I want the world to know that. I think it's important. So what now? So you're a Stephen Anderson follower. Uh, maybe you go to one of his churches, uh, one of the groups of church of, of, that are under his uh, independent fundamentalist Baptist group. Uh, there's other other independent fundamentalist Baptists who have nothing to do with Stephen Anderson, but there is a group that does. And um, what if you're part of this group? Um, here's what I want to suggest. You need to, you need to recognize there's problems. That's the first step. Stephen Anderson presents himself like he's the end-all be-all of biblical truth, but you need to recognize there's problems. That means there has to be a filter when you hear him, when you consider his stuff. It doesn't mean everything he says is wrong, right? In fact, you may like a lot of what he says, and you may love his passion and feel like he tells it like it is, right? But there is such a thing as zeal that's not according to knowledge. Romans 10.2 talks about that, right? He has zeal. Oh, he tells it like it is? No, he doesn't actually tell it like it is because he tells it like it's not a lot of the time. You need to break off from this guy. You need to find biblical solid teachers who will toe the line of scripture unashamed and unafraid, but who will not compromise with the pride, self-righteousness, and false teaching about uh, homosexuality, for example, that you see in Stephen Anderson's ministry. Would it help if I yelled at you? Would it help if I got angry? And if I pounded on my desk, would that make my words perhaps mean more to you? I hope not. I hope that's not what's actually influencing you with Steven Anderson, but for some people it is. It's, it's the angry pounding that gets you. For the rest of us, here's my advice. Here's my advice. Stop. Stop following this guy. Go right now and unsubscribe from his YouTube channel. Or if, you, or if you're going, oh, I'm gonna go check out his videos and see. Look, he has a following partially because he's provocative, right? Sometimes provocation gives you more of a voice than being truthful about things. Don't watch his videos. Don't watch his weird conspiracy documentary videos. He's got a number of them, by the way. Don't watch them. Don't even give any attention to his stuff. Now, if you want to refute him, go ahead and watch it to refute it. But if you're watching it to be entertained or to try to glean some little bits of truth in the mixed up in the weirdness, don't do it. Control your impulses and stay away from him. Ignore him. Why? I think we should starve him out. That's my point. When he comes up, Direct people to videos that refute him. That's the idea. Now, some are trying to campaign to get their um, their stuff removed from uh, from PayPal so that they can't receive donations online and things like that. And um, I don't know uh, where I honestly stand on on those types of things because those are. I feel like once we take freedoms from people, it's like a slippery slope that others are going to lose them too. What I would rather do is target the people that are donating to this guy and say, "Hello, are you think you're a biblical Christian?" But these are unbiblical things that he is loudly preaching and standing for, and you got to stop. You got to stop. Um, ask for your money back, you know, and um, and go support good ministries. Um, and uh, and finally, I'll say, look, if you want to learn how to think biblically about everything, that's what my whole channel is all about. And you can subscribe. All the videos are free. All the content's up there for free. And I hope it blesses you. I hope it helps you navigate things thoughtfully. And, and subscribe to my channel if you'd like and put that notification bell on so that you can get notifications when I go live on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific time. 
And if you do want to support this ministry, there'll be a link in the description below. Um, I do count on support from the few who are able and willing and desire to really make this ministry happen, make videos like this possible and different series that I do possible. Um, so thank you so much. God bless you. I hope this has been fruitful and helpful, um, not meant to attack at all, but um, I can hardly overstate um, how wrong this stuff is and how, um, yeah, we, we, we need to separate from this guy uh, in any way we can. Thank you.